This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align. Great day, everyone. Ed Dudley coming at you again from North Carolina. I'm excited. Uh, Today is just going to be a fabulous show because we have uh, an amazing guest that is gracing us with his presence today. But before we get started, the beautiful Vera Rubin, how are you doing today? I am wonderful. Thanks for asking. Glad to be uh, good. Just so you guys know, Greer took an amazing trip to this thriving destination called Nacogdoches, Texas. If you don't know where it is, don't feel bad. I don't think anyone does. Yeah, it's an experience for sure. Got it, my man. How are you feeling? Doing well. It's a good day today. March 23rd is my wife's birthday. I won't say the year. She'll kill me. So I am hauled up right now at a hotel um, in Sarasota, Florida. And big ups to my uh, parents as well. It is their anniversary today. Well, happy anniversary, Scotts, And happy birthday, Miss Scott. Uh, we won't keep Garland too long because I'm sure he's probably getting a side eye that you're doing a recording on my birthday. She because I, the grief that I would have gotten would have been through the roof. You don't understand the grief that I would have gotten. She would probably have been over my shoulder looking at the, like, when are you going to end? So, Well, I'm actually looking right at her right now. Like, she's in front of me. She's on the other side of this camera. Oh no, don't do that. Oh Lord, we're not gonna do that. Not gonna do that. We don't want to lose viewership. But um um this next guest, I'm you know, um honestly I didn't think we would get him uh to to join us. Um he's an amazing individual, he is a trailblazer out there in the industry. Um we were talking off air that um I had a conversation with him, I don't know, I think it was 2013 or 12, and we were just sitting there rapping, um, and I said, you know, where are you going to go? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? He said, I want to run a brokerage. I said, really? Now, you you didn't see really any of us, you know, running brokerages. You know, Stan O'Neill had a short stint, uh, but you really didn't see us. And, you know, my wife is a firm believer in the power of your words. You have the ability to manifest things if you speak them. And this brother spoke it. He said, I want to run a brokerage. And today, he is the president and CEO of Steeple Independent Advisors, Mr. Alex David. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much. Ed, uh, what kind, kind, kind words you're saying. Garland, Greer, nice meeting you both. I am so honored to be on your show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, we, you know, we appreciate you just joining joining the show. I mean, um, we know the life of a CEO in general is just a hectic, crazy life. And, you know, you could have been somewhere on CNBC, but you decided to come hang out with us. Um, so later for you CNBC crew, um, we're going to take over from here. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the whole premise of the show is, you know, Garland and I were talking um, probably about a year ago. 
And we were sharing war, war stories of carrying the bag as black men in the financial industry. And, and Alex, you carried the bag for Lord Abbott, I believe it was. And you didn't see us. And we would share the stories that the encounters that we would have with individuals showing up as black men. So if you look at Garland Scott, it's not an ethnic name. Ed Dudley is not an ethnic name. Alex David is not a. So they didn't know what they were getting until we showed up. And some of the looks and the stares and the comments. So Garland and I, we laughed a while. We said, well, you know, maybe we need to do a show. So we, we started the podcast there. And then we realized that it's beyond us. It's not just people of color, but women have a issue in the industry that are underreported. And Greer was one of our first guests, and she came on and she dropped so many nuggets. We're like, look, Greer, we need to bring you in and make you a co-host. So that's the genesis of the show. And Alex, what our hope is that we run into someone or someone who runs into the podcast, they see it and they say, you know what? I want to make either make a career change to come inside the financial industry or someone that is in college or high school is just thinking about joining the industry and saying, you know what? This is a beautiful industry to be in. It's a place that you can make a great living, great career, do great things as a person of color or as a woman. So I'd love for you to unpack your story, how you even got in the industry. And if you could just start with a bicycle messenger story, because I think that was just powerful. So the floor is yours, sir. Yeah. So um, hopefully you guys can hear me pretty well. We hear you great. Okay. Okay, good. So uh, from Brooklyn, New York, and did not know anyone at all who was in the business. Um, not family, friends, uh, just, just no one. But I was a bike messenger in Manhattan. So in, uh, when I was in high school and uh, in my, I guess, first year and a half or so, uh, even in college, um, or maybe, maybe in a couple of years. And, um, and so I would always drop packages down through Wall Street on a, on a regular basis. So here's one, here's one thing that I think is just, you talk about just full circle. One day, if I ever write a book, maybe, maybe I'll call it full circle. Cause I just think this is just crazy. So, uh, when I stepped on, you know, here it is, you know, years later, and I'm appointed as president and CEO of Steeple Independent Advisor. Um, we are a subsidiary of Stiefel Financial. Stiefel has been around 130 years, 33 years or so. And I stepped on, on, on stage um, uh, March of 2021. And so the very first publicly, yeah, and we're a publicly traded company. And so public board meeting um, or, or board meeting of a publicly traded company. And we have our board meeting at... 787 7th Avenue in New York City. So 787 7th Avenue in New York City. And this is, I've never been, you know, to a board meeting of a publicly traded company. It was, it was pretty like mind blowing. I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty, this is pretty neat. And it's just an, an extraordinary opportunity. And um, this was during COVID. And so we were, we were, were deemed to have the meeting there, but then um, for some odd reason, the last moment, we uh, we decided to do the, the, the board meeting via Zoom. Because, you know, in, in the heat of the moment, everyone's trying to get back or not. Long story short, for the next few days or so, I kept saying to myself, why does that, why does that address sound familiar? 787, 7, I kept, and I could not think of it. It just, it was bothering me. 
And then one day, one morning, it hit me a couple of days late. I was like, I got it. 787 7th Avenue is the address uh, that 30, 35 years beforehand, I would make my very first pickup as a bike messenger and my very last drop off as a bike messenger. And here it is 30, 35 years later, you know, I'm sitting up on, you know, where it's supposed to be sitting up on a you know, 50th floor at a publicly traded board meeting as a president and CEO. I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, that's how I, that's, that's my introduction into the business, you know. So your book name so, um, is Full Circle 787. Or 787 full circle. <laughs> I'm just exactly, saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But but I, I would tell you, but um, but more more seriously though, I I just think it's it's really cool. But more seriously, you know, I um, you know, I saw a lot of folks who were um, dressed nice and they had fancy cars and had briefcases when I would drop off um, packages, you know, down on Wall Street. And so I decided to make my major finance, you know, finance and applied mathematics. I went to a public, uh, a public school. I got a full ride. And um, eventually I became a, a financial advisor. And so, but it was, believe it or not, it was my exposure as a bike messenger going into the mailroom of these firms. And by the way, this is no lie, many times the mailroom crew of these firms, they were very condescending to bike messengers. And they were like, well, you guys are, you guys are out in the elements. You know, we're, we're in here, you know, and it's like, and I would always walk away saying, one day I'm going to be in the room. You just wait, you just wait. One day I'm going to be in the room. I was just so angry at these guys. And so long story short, not only did I make it into a mailroom, I really did sign the mailroom, made it into a mailroom and then, um, you know, I'm ready on a muni bond desk, and then I became a financial advisor. And then, as from a financial advisor, I worked, um, as you had alluded, Ed, as a uh, an inside wholesaler, actually at Oppenheimer Funds, on it on sales and trading desk, and then eventually a wholesaler, and um, and then I ultimately wind up at uh, Wachovia Securities on the recruiting side of the business, leading a division uh, for our independent space. Um, but that's basically. That 30 seconds or less, that's basically my quick journey to where I'm at right now. That's awesome. Um, what years were you at Lord Abbott? 2001 through 2007. About. John, John Kingery, you ring a bell? Mm -mm. I've got a name no. drop. Girl, you know John Kingery, don't you? I know John, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, was, I don't. I don't. He was our Lord Abbott guy in the Mid Atlantic, and he's kind of legendary up here. He was the fun one. He was oh, very, that, very much the fun one. <laughs> yeah, we 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 had. I mean, we had a we had a great crew. Very very. Um, I mean, these 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 folks, my my colleagues. I was proud to be amongst them. I think they were some of the best in the industry, and, and I would say, um, probably still are some of the best in the industry. Quite frankly. I got another question for you, Alex. Um, you know, you said you, you left it off at Wachovia where you were in recruiting and you were leading a team for that endeavor. Even there, that doesn't necessarily lead you to CEO of anything. Talk about the very end. So now you're at, well, at Wachovia, which becomes Wells. Mm -hmm. 
to now, to today, sitting in Boca Raton, Florida with a nice suit on. What's, <laughs> what's the end of that story to get you to the C-suite level? Yeah, so um, uh, Wachovia is where I actually met Ed. Um, and so Ed, we used to do some, you know, some meetings together. Um, Ed was recruiting, I was recruiting. I was specifically, specifically recruiting um, just for the independent channel. I was leading a team that was recruiting for that. And I know Ed was recruiting for the entire firm, um, all the channels. But um, what began to happen is um, they said, well, Alex, although you've never done this before, and so it took some courage on their part to say, hey, we think you can do this. Um, so that was uh, you know, all credit to you know, my former boss, his name was John Peloso, to give me an opportunity like that. Um, and they said, well, we want you to run this division. Um, and this division comprised of two regions. And they said, Alex, you're, well, you've done pretty well here after a year or so. Why don't you run three regions? I said, okay, no problem. And then it was five regions. And then it was half the country. And then they said, well, why don't you just run the entire country and we're going to give you some more responsibility. And ultimately, I became the number two at Finet. And, uh, and I did that for a number of years. And so we wind up bringing in probably somewhere between 80 and $85 billion in assets under management um, and, and recruiting, sourcing, um, and uh, acquisitions uh, into our independent channel. And probably around um, 2000, I guess maybe the beginning of 2020, um, 2020 is when I began to have a conversation with Stiefel. So Stiefel, um, our chairman and CEO of our global organization, is a gentleman by the name of Ron Kruszewski. And Ron was introduced to me by someone that used to work at Wells Fargo. In a second here. That used to work at Wells Fargo, um, and he was on the private client group side of the business. His name was Alvin Spence. Alvin had moved over to, uh, to, um, to Stiefel and told Ron about me. And so Ron said, hey, I'd love, I'd love to meet this guy. In fact, I think I know him because I've been following his career. But long story short, I meet with Ron and um, Stiefel at the time had an independent business. Uh, it was around for 30 years. It was called Century Securities. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, they kind of used it as a retirement vehicle for their W-2 employees to eventually retire. Totally understand. But Ron said, you know, I've been seeing what you've been doing over there. And literally, he started reading back my resume to me. He's like, I've been watching you <laughs> from afar. Which, side note, great, great advice is... Um, we always have to be careful what we're doing because people are always watching us. And he was watching, and he said, yeah, I remember you did this and this and this. And I was, I was blown away. Long story short, he says, hey, um, man, I, I know you're having fun over there, but I'd love for you to grow what we have here with a clean slate. Look at us as your venture capitalists. And um, I think you've got something special in, and we want you to, to build it. And initially, for a good year, I literally thought he wanted me to come over and be the number two at Century Securities, which is what it was called at the time. And so I was like, ah, I was like, yeah, maybe, but I'm, I'm, I'm all right over here. Until one of our last meetings, and he was kind of looking at me like, but don't you want to be president and CEO? I was like, well, so what? <laughs> I was like, oh, you want me to be the president and CEO? I was like, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> so, uh, Way to bury the lead. Exactly, exactly. 
came <laughs> over, changed the name, and we've been going ever since. That's that see, that's great. that's the completion story that I wanted to hear right there because we just <laughs> look, we don't we don't really get a chance to talk to C-suite people every single day. Um, something else I was going to bring up too. In fact, I didn't I didn't really know if you were going to make it here. And I told Ed this ten minutes before you got on the on the air. I said, look. These guys coming from these publicly traded companies, they might not want to, you know, have this sort of this outlier podcast exposure going on with these three people. They don't really know. Well, he knows you well, but not Rear and I. Um, so thank you for joining us, first of all. And then secondly, uh, if you if you can expand on the harder parts of your journey. That's what this podcast is all about, right? That's a gracious story. I love it. It ends great. You're not even done yet. But talk about some of the junk, right? Talk about some of the, hey, this guy lost faith in me. Hey, maybe my brown skin got in the way of this. Hey, maybe the fact that I'm from New York got in the way of that. Tell me about some, give me a good story about something that knocked you back a little bit. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. What's going on here? What, one thing that, that actually stands out to me is, is um, I had a gentleman that uh, he'll remain nameless, um, but uh, Ed knows him well. He, he made no, no, no lawsuits, Alex. No lawsuits. No lawsuits. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, this gentleman um, has become a, a dear friend, quite frankly. But when I came over to uh, Wachovia Securities, which was eventually Wells Fargo Financial Net, uh, Advisors Network, um, so I became boss. And so here it is, a gentleman who's younger than you. Um, he's, he's, uh, African-American. This gentleman was white. Um, I had never recruited ever in my life. This person has been doing it for 25 years. And so you have a tenured white, um, executive and his new boss is a young black guy who's never done this before. And this guy is going to tell me how to do my job. And I got to report up to this guy. And I think overlaid uh, uh, from that, the overwhelming concern, at least what I got was, oh, and by the way, he is an African-American. So let's just put that out there. And so I remember going to meetings initially, and uh, we would sit down with um, a financial advisor. And so the advisor would immediately think that I uh, was his junior, like, you know, and so he, he'd say, oh, hey, Ed, uh, how's it going? And, and they would be having conversation the entire time. And I'm just sitting back and listening. And he said, so, uh, so, so what is it that you do? Uh, you know, <laughs> it, or, or, and, and so it would come out or he would say to, let's say, the, the Ed, who, who was the gentleman that I'm referring to. Um, we'll just call him Ed Dudley for, for, for sake of <laughs> argument. So he would say, so, Ed, um, so, uh, so I see you, you have this, uh, this, this young man. So, uh, so what is it that he does? And the gentleman, <laughs> he could not get it out of his mouth to say, this yep. is my boss. What he would say is, well, he, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the division that <laughs> technically my region reports into, and it's all these gymnastics to describe it and the, the advisor would be like so he's your boss it's like hey, 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 yeah i guess you can you know it, it, it was so difficult 
for him to just say he's my boss. So that was that was a challenge, and I, I I knew it. I didn't bring it up, and I said, it's difficult to change someone's upbringing, uh, just the yep. way they look at the world, just by saying I'm your boss, and you got to look at the world differently. That's yep. not going to work. And I said to myself, well, let me try to get behind what motivates this person. And in, and in fact, what I know motivated this person was competition. He's very competitive. He always wanted to win. I said, well, if I can help him win, maybe that will begin to change things. And so what would begin to happen is he saw me as, as not only an advocate, but, um, uh, but one where I was actually able to help him close business. And sometimes I closed the business for him, which was thousands and thousands of dollars in his pocket. So fast forward, maybe a year, year and a half later, um, his folks would say, so who is this? Oh, this is my boss. This, this guy's a man. This is my boss. Because <laughs> he, it, it, for him, it was probably some sort of self-evaluation of, man, this guy is very, very talented. There's a, there's a clear reason why they came, they, they brought him on to be my boss. And um, he can actually help me further my career. And it was, it was marvelous. And so that's one thing. And I, I, I didn't mean the story for the go too long, but that's one, one example from, of, you know, oftentimes we as African Americans or even women, um, underrepresented, you know, um, uh, uh, folks in the industry, we get very frustrated when we see outright racism. You know, how can we be more purposeful in in having a better invitation invitation to the industry uh, for this next generation coming forward? Yeah, it's a good question, um, Colin. I, I think one of the challenges that our industry and many industries have is um, we often need to find some sort of compelling social reason to move forward with the numbers and and it's it's linked to something social so we have you know the killing of George Floyd a few years ago that got everyone and it was put right in front of everyone's face and it was like oh my god Oh my God! Well, we we got to do something. We really need to do something, and it kind of you know got everyone into gear. And we said we've got to throw money at it and resources. We've got to do this and that, and it was a social reason. And what I have felt is that has began to dissipate as the years have gone by, and it's like oh, back to business as usual until something else social comes about. And there is, you know, rioting in the streets. It's like, we've got to do something. And what I have always felt is um, for business people, is there a business reason? Business people often, now, yes, of course, for humanity, um, yes, we want things to get better, um, you know, from a racist perspective or, or just being accepting of the LGBT community or a feminist and so on and so forth. But, um, but for business people, there has to be some sort of business link. And so, you know, do business people see this as a business issue? And one illustration I, I would use um, is, you remember we had like Y2K back mm -hmm. in the day, <laughs> you know, 
I mean, it, it was it was a major biz. Yeah, it was a major business issue where we had we had every firm had a war room, and we would go to industry conferences, and and we'd have industry conference calls, and it was it was a major issue. We've got to solve this issue, and you know, Dodd Frank, you know, major issue. This is a this is a this is a financial issue that's going to change the world. We got to solve this issue, and guess what? Best interest. And another example. Each of those um, business problems, the firms got together. Uh, there was war rooms. They got serious. There were strategies, and they solved these uh, business problems with business solutions. And in my opinion, we have to evolve from seeing the issues of you know a small amount of African American or even people of color in our industry as social issues. We have to see these as hardcore, holistic business problems that require business solutions, and we have to attack them the same way we did Y2K, Dodd-Frank, Best Interest. If we did that, we have some of the smartest people in the world working in this industry. We'd have the problem done just like that. But folks don't see it as a business um, issue. And I would, I would go as far as to say, um, I think one of the issues that, even the folks who are trying to advocate for people of color or women, sometimes they themselves are approaching it as a social issue and not approaching it as, hey, I've got to meet my audience to where they are and we lose them. And so instead of saying we've got a business issue, we have, you know, Forbes came out with some uh, some sort of a um, survey and they were they were they had, I think it was Forbes um, and they said that. Um, uh, the number of uh, uh, um, black wealth, as an example, has quadrupled, right? Quadrupled in the last 20 years. You know, there are there are more than, you know, I, I forgot the number, but like 10 or 17 million black millionaires in the United States. Like and they they I mean, clearly they're banked, but many of them do not have financial advisors, they don't, they, they're not building their wealth, at least in the markets or even sophisticated products. Um, to me, that's a business issue. That is a business issue. Let's attack it with a business solution. Um, and yes, it does have ramifications in the communities from a social perspective. But if I flip it, instead of starting out social, and maybe we can get some business, hey, what if I attack it from a business perspective, and we have social you know, downstream impacts. That's how I think is the answer. It's a long answer, Garland, but it's something I've thought about. No, so I, I think you nailed it, man. I, mean, yeah. I look at the NFL and what they did with women, and they focus, start focusing on women. Here, you know, there's not a single woman in the NFL, not one that that plays. Yet, I like Jalen Hurts for my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. He has the first uh, female, all female team. team, all female agent team, uh, sensational. They made a purposeful effort to start to include 50% of the United States population and look at the NFL's trajectory, right? I mean, it is ma it's massive. And now you have women that follow that sport like crazy and they're creating a separate generation of young females that also are gonna follow that sport. And this is a dangerous sport. I played it in college. It's rough. It's got all kinds of other barbs that come along with it with injuries and the number of black coaches and all those things. but. That's a business decision that Roger Goodell made, and that's a benefit, and, and that, that sort of expresses your point. I think the growing black wealth, 
we call ourselves first time uh, affluent. We are really kind of getting to the first generation of affluence in the African-American community. The first time we're going to leave legacy money behind for our kids is happening right now. My parents probably will be the first, but their parents certainly didn't do that. That's a business opportunity in my mind. Um, and I hope that people like you and others can help champion those efforts because it it, it is a, it is an opportunity out there. And if we drag along the social aspect with it, I'm a happy guy. So, so Alex, you know, I love how you just unpacked all that. Um, how do we get the, the old guard, the powers that be, that sit at these tables to really look at it as a business issue and not a social issue? Because right now, I look at all companies across the board, they got DEI, DEI leaders and everything. And honestly, I don't feel like they're really doing anything. I feel they like just head positions to say, oh, by the way, I have a position uh, for a DEI champion. But what can we really do? What can they do? to really make it a business issue? It's a tough question. <laughs> Did we lose them? Lost them again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so, and so if I heard, so uh, what can we do to bring these folks to the table? Is that what you're saying, Ed? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so um, I, I, I do think that, um, one of the challenges I think that we have with, with DE&I, I, I, I know many, many people in this space, but oftentimes they'll take, they'll take an Ed Dudley who is really, really talented at what he does and say, Ed, because you're black, we're going to make you head of DE&I. &E yep. and, and, yep. and so you take one of the most talented leaders from their, their role and you make them into something and it becomes obscure and they, they go in the corner and then that's it, right? Um, I, I, I think... Uh, and I'm, I'm in no way am I trying to diss uh, the practitioners. And I guess what I'm saying is, I think you have to combine business people and perhaps DNI people coming together and making a business case. Um, just like you, I, I would make a business case for any investment, any opportunity. I mean, I'm going to lay this out. Here, the pluses, the minuses. I'll do, I'll do the the T chart. Here's the the advantages disadvantages I mean, and I'd, I'd lay that out just like i was going into any um market or any product or any service and um with a time plan i would hold myself accountable to it i think if we approach it as 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 if we approach any business opportunity um it, people who who are tenacious um businesses and business leaders who are innovative and tenacious they, you may not get, get them all, but you will certainly um, pique their interest. And it, 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 if you start saying, this is how we're going to execute on it, this is how we're going to hit our goals, and, and here are the, the downstream impacts, here are some of the risks, I think that that is certainly one of the ways to, to kind of get started, frankly. And, and some firms are actually really doing it well, I, I will say, frankly. I think it's about exposure honestly i'm like early on um like you said the only reason that you even got into the business was because you were a bike messenger and you were wondering what all of these people in suits were doing and you said i want to be one of those people in a suit who's driving a nice car carrying around a briefcase um and i, I you know i i want to be respected by the people in the mailroom but 
not everybody is getting exposure to that industry. And I think, you know, kids in high school and in college who are trying to decide what they want to do with their lives, they aren't necessarily being exposed to these types of opportunities because no one is telling them about them. And so I think what we really need are people that look like us to go out into the community and talk to the people that look like us 20 years ago and tell them about the opportunities. Because if we can actually start to bring in a new generation into the business, then I think that the pool starts to look more diverse from the bottom. And then we don't get into those situations where we're seeking out somebody who is a person of color or a woman just to put them in a role to fill some arbitrary number, but we're really actually choosing from a larger pool of people who are all very qualified and we don't necessarily have to worry about diversity at that point because we are actually choosing the ones that are the best for the job, but there's a more equal distribution of those genders and stuff. So I do think it's, yeah. I think that's a great segue, um, Greer, to Alex. Uh, I noticed that uh, you're now the chair imagist, imagist at uh, Quad A. Uh, I think it might be a great opportunity to talk a little bit about Quad A and what they're doing. Because honestly, when I was out there carrying a bag, there was no Quad A. I was actually looking for guys that looked like me out, out there. And, and it was like looking for a needle in a 10 football fields. Uh, but I'd love for you just to share a little bit about you know, some of the work and you know how you became affiliated with Quad A. And for those individuals that don't know what Quad A is, can you share what that is? Yeah, so um, it's the, uh, the African American Association of Financial Advisors. Uh, so it's four A's, if you will, Quad A. And uh, really, the whole purpose of the organization, it was started by a gentleman, his name is LeCount Davis, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, uh, slightly more than 20 years ago and the count yeah and so I've, I've been saying how uh so the count davis is the first african-american cfp in, in the industry um the count started the organization and the whole purpose was to get more financial advice more financial professionals um so it started as financial advisors but re- truly more financial professionals into the industry and um that still is the theme and the the overall uh concept to get more advisors in, in the more financial professionals in the industry, um, to get um, to to help firms retain these folks and then help folks get to the C-suite or very senior levels uh, in, in, in the um, in the industry at these respective firms, these partner firms. And um, one of the things we have done, I I just became well, I'm the incoming chairman emeritus. I'll be taking LeCount's place in September. But one of the things that the organization has done in a really, really um, very specific and focused fashion under the leadership of um, uh, 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 Christian Owasike, he's the chair of the organization, is partner with other organizations. Um, for instance, HBCUs, I think there's five or six or so, as you were saying, Greer, to kind of get exposure. And also partner with other organizations that go into the high school level and middle school level to begin to, you know, bear out curriculum 
uh, around that that concept. In addition, they are partnering with, um, like for instance, there's an organization which I, I did not know when I was carrying the bag. Uh, of uh, I forgot the name of the organization, but basically it's an organization of um, black and minority wholesalers. Never knew that even existed. Um, did I? <laughs> never heard. And, and <laughs> never and and so there's an organization that exists, and now so they're partnering together, and so. Um, the Quad A really, I think, has become and is becoming the preeminent organization for financial professionals, period, in the end. And they have partnered with some of the largest firms on the street. This, we probably have more than 50 um, firms, uh, whether it's Merrill, Morgan, Edward Jones, Raymond James, LPL, Wells Fargo. I mean, we go on and on on Stiefel. Um, and these firms... It feels as if these firms are serious about partnering and trying to trying to solve this business uh, problem, and uh, it's it's been great. If if I'm still there, I, I don't know if you're I'm, here. You're still here. You're here. Okay, got it. Okay, <laughs> that's encouraging to hear um, because we the, the running joke, and you you know because you carry the bag. The running joke was always the you know the two black guys in the in the in the bullpen. And 18 months later, the two more black guys that came in to replace those two black guys for 20 years, that was the running joke. Like, oh, who's going to be the two new black guys in the in this branch? So to hear that big firms like Merrill, and I'll use Merrill specifically because um, one of my last years of really truly being on the road, um, I went to the African-American Consortium at Merrill Lynch. It was in Tampa Bay. And uh, the only qualifications at the time were more than three years of experience as a financial advisor. And I think at the time, Merrill Lynch was about 16,000 advisors, less than 200 people were there. And that was almost appalling to me. I, I, I couldn't believe, I thought it was, well, maybe people didn't know about it or people didn't want to participate. But at the end of the day, you know, they had a very, very low percentage of people that qualify in that very low watermark uh, just to be available for that event. Um, the number of sponsorships from wholesaling entities very diminished unlike you would get at a national merrill lynch a full bred merrill lynch meeting so to hear that that the wirehouses are leaning in to quad a uh is very encouraging and i'm happy that you're going to be leading that front and please continue to do so because um we are woefully behind uh whether it's a social or business meeting at the end of the day we are woefully behind the eight ball so thank you yep so, Mr. Alex David, you know, as I started on the share, you sat in your condo and you, before you became Mr. CEO, you were very prophetic and said that I want to run the shop. What, what, what is on Mr. David's bucket list? What would he like to do next? Once this is behind you, once you build this out? Yeah, you know, um, this is going to sound like a politician, and I don't really mean it to be, but um, <laughs> I'm telling you, um, I, I, I've never thought that I would be the president and CEO of a firm on Wall Street. I'd never even thought I would be working for a Wall Street firm. And here it is, I'm at a, a firm, and you know we're one of the fastest growing firms in the country. And um, I'm having so much fun doing that, delivering performance, helping our advisors, helping our business owners, 
uh, grow and bringing more on board. Um, and I'm, I'm having a ball doing that. I mean, I just, it just, it just is, it's, it's incredible. It's challenging and it's incredible. And then it has allowed me to be on this platform where I can talk about um, diversity issues uh, that I've always wanted to talk about. I just didn't have a mic. And now I have a mic and um, folks sometimes want to listen. Um, and that's fun also. And so my thought is I want to continue to grow my firm and I want to continue to grow um, us in the industry so that, you know, when it's time for me to hang it up 15, 20 years later, you know, I look back and say, man, you killed it. I mean, your firm, you know, grew from, you know, six or seven billion to, you know, I don't know, you know, 700 billion or some crazy number. Oh, and by the way, the number of African-Americans in the, in the business was, you know, um, I don't know, 4% and now it's like 11% or, or something like that. I, I, I want to be able to do that. I'll, I'll leave you with one really quick stat and I don't know, I, I don't really know what to do with it. I just hope it continues. You know, 40%, 40, uh, 40 40% of our new um, experienced advisors uh, which, by the way, all of them are doing more than a million dollars, more than a hundred million dollars in assets under management, were diverse or women. Four zero, forty percent in 2022. And so, folks are like, "Well, what are you doing?" I'm like, "I, I don't really know, quite know what we're doing." They, they, they're attracted to you. our message, and so I can tell you what you're doing. I can. So, let for for those that don't know, and now it's just being coy, they actually see someone that looks like us. They see that yeah. Stifu took took a chance and said, this is not even a chance. Stifu said, I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to put somebody qualified in the position. And that's attracting quality people. Because, I, you know, I'm sorry, other firms that are out there. We want to go where we feel embraced, welcome, and belonged. And you've created a culture of that. That's why it's at 40%. If I was still out there, I'd be calling, hey, Alex, hey, um, hit me up. Yep. I'm, I'm looking for a new gig. What? Because speakers not just talking to talk, they're walking to walk. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I agree. I, I heard most of it, but I know exactly what, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, hope that, I, I hope that that begins to resonate at other firms. Yes. And they say, wow, you know, because Ron Koshevsky, you know, he had the foresight, he had the, he had the courage to say, I think this guy is good at what he does. He happens to be African-American. Um, let's give him a shot. I think he's going to rock and roll. And I, I hope others have that opportunity. Yeah, I think I love, I think, I love it. I think it will. No. So, you know, we don't want to monopolize your time because, like we said, that you're sitting at a pool with the sun over your shoulders in Boca, enjoying the weather. Um, Greer, do you have a last question for Mr. Uh, I'm going to call him Dr. David because he's got that PhD, but he doesn't use doctor, so I'm going to call him doctor. <laughs> you have, you have, a, you have a, um, a last question for Dr. David or a comment? Um, my last question would just be what advice would you give to the younger you or to anyone who would have been in your position? A couple decades ago trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives and yeah i 
It's a good question. Um, I would say um, patient, you know, um, having a, a, a um, being tenacious, but being patient. Um, I, I, I found this word the other day. It's a uh, longanimity and it is um, patience in the face of adversity. And the whole concept is you will still run into challenges and roadblocks. Do not give up. Do not jump from job to job to job to job, which is what I did at early in my career. Be patient. Be patient. If you're resilient and you're tenacious and you are really good at what you do, you will make it to the other side. Great advice. Thank you. Love it. Garland, what do you got for uh, Dr. David? Not a question, but as always, um, I always end with thank yous. Uh, I think what you said before about um, being in the position to now have a microphone is hugely important. Uh, I'll, I'll piggyback off what Ed said. You know, Stiefel became the guinea pig. Um, I do a lot of sports references, and I'll use this one. When USC started signing black kids to play football there in the 50s, a lot of the bigger schools on the other side of the country said, we'll never do that. Now look at it. Mm -hmm. So Stiefel took the chance on a talented, very talented leader uh, that just happens to be black. And I hope that the other Wall Street firms are paying attention. It's not that big of a deal. We're smart. Ignore the stereotypes. Stop following media reports. Not everything that happens on your on your 11 o'clock news involves all of us. In fact, it involves very few of us. Um, and, and so I, I agree with you. Let's push through some of the BS stereotypes that we've been labeled with for all these decades. And let's start to prove to people um, that we have the intellectual acumen to be as good and better uh, than what has preceded us. So again, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for being on board with us. Um, continue to do what you're doing. I love the statements that you're making today and I look forward to what you do, do tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank so you Alex, so Alex, I want you to, to land a message with the younger people, individuals that are thinking of career change um, about the industry. What has the industry meant to you why should they look at the industry? Um, I think the question was, uh, what, 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 um, what would I say to folks who are looking uh, to make a career and why should they choose the industry? I think, one, this is a special industry which allows you to help people in, the most, in one of the most important aspects of their lives, their financial lives. I mean, you literally get to change the trajectory of a person's generation themselves and for generations to come and you get to feel good at the end of the day and make a very good living for yourself it's hard to think of other professions that allow you to do that and it's one of the the grandest that i think there is and the most noblest thank you sir Alex, I will simply say, you know, I appreciate you, I value, value our friendship. Thank you for affording us some of your time. I am over proud of you and your accomplishments. I, I sit back 
and I watch you every time you pop up in a publication I'm reading it every time I see your face something's out there I'm reading it about you and I'm sitting there I'm like my man yeah I, I love it so thank you for all that you're doing continue to um, buy out bars because we didn't even talk about that continue to buy out bars uh, and do the things that you're doing and um, we're here to support you any way we can Thank you, everyone, who's tuned in. This has been another journey to financial advisor experience with Alex David, CEO, President of Stiefel Independent Advisors. Take care, everyone. Have a great day, evening, afternoon, or night, wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you.